Broadcasting from Youngstown, Ohio, this is the MV Red Podcast, the show where we talk about news and politics impacting the Mahoning Valley, the state of Ohio, and the USA. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, find us on your favorite podcast streaming app or visit our website, www.mvred.com. If you want to share your opinion with us, please email info at mvred.com, as we would love to hear from you. Now, let's get things started. Here are your hosts, Michael Metzinger and Dane Davis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode, I think we're up to episode 14, believe it or not, Dane. We've made it this, this far. Wow, uh, the MV Red podcast. It's it's uh, miracles do happen. <laughs> and, uh, we've uh, we've made it to, to episode fourteen. So we want to thank everybody for tuning in. My name is Michael Metzinger. Joining me is my co-host, which let's see if I do it right, Dane Davis. And yeah. joining us today or this evening is our first. Oh boy! Oh wait, one second. I'm getting an echo in my. Hold up! Hold up! There uh, we go. I'm sorry. I'm getting the F, the 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 video going through my ears uh, from the live stream itself. And joining us are our first guest to the program. We have Shamore De Niro, who is the chair of the Mahoning County Young Republicans, and James Malarkey, who is the secretary of the Mahoning County Young Republicans. So we're very happy that uh, both of them were able to join us this evening. Um, it's been well, probably three, three and a half weeks since our last episode. And the last few episodes, we really haven't focused too, too much, I think, on politics we had a couple episodes where we kind of focused entirely on the COVID-19 pandemic. And then our last episode was focused much more on the uh, response to the killing of George Floyd and, and the, the uproar and the uh, protests in the streets related to that. So believe, believe it or not, now we're in the July and we're what, 120 days or something like that from the election. And it definitely doesn't seem like it's a top story still with everything going on in the world today. So we want to focus this episode on um, politics and we're going to kind of get back to the whole roots of, of what MB Red really is. I know we've kind of morphed it into a few other things, but we're going to talk about politics today. Um, so we're going to talk first about the Young Republicans organization in Mahoning County, hear about what they do, their role in, in party politics, kind of how it came about, and how they go about assisting camp, the various candidates uh, running in Mahoning County. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to talk about the 2020 election and uh, Trump, or, or yeah, I was about, I thought I said 2016, 2020 election. I, had a, I should have a Joe Biden moment there. I apologize. Um, so yeah, it's not good. So we're going to talk about that as well, and then we'll talk about a few other things on the second half of the episode. But uh, if you're in the chat joining us, by all means, please share your comments with us. We try to make this as uh, interactive as possible. And uh, got my Indian shirt on today. I'm starting to get excited for baseball. It's going to be a little awkward with nobody in the stands. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. So before we turn it over and talk about the Young Republicans, Dane, you have any initial thoughts before we get started? Uh, no, no. It's a beautiful day. Welcome to the second half of 2020. And uh, I can't believe we've done 14 episodes of this, Michael. I, uh, I thought you would have kicked me off by now, but you're uh, letting me piggyback on uh, all your hard work to take partial credit for it. So thanks for allowing me to continue to mooch off of you 
No, 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 I think you, you had a lot. It's not like I, I've been writing any blogs or anything like that. So uh, I kind of like the whole podcast. It kind of makes it a little, a little easier. It's so, easier. It's super easy. It's just talk, right? You don't have to do, you don't have to use your brain. You just talk. Correct. So uh, let's start talking about the Mahoney County Young Republicans. So Shamori, why don't you start off, kind of introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role with the party in uh, your position kind of in your day-to-day life. And then after that, we'll turn it over to James to share his, um, kind of tell us a little bit about himself. Okay. Um, so my name is Shmori De Niro. I am the chair of the Young Republicans. We, for a long time, have just been Mahoney County Young Republicans. And uh, recently we just became Mahoney Trumbull County Young Republicans so that we could bring the men with us. Um, I actually joined the party in 2016, when it was a huge, great presidential election, nothing like 2020. <laughs> um, there was no COVID. And um, James knows we, we had a lot of fun. We met so many different people, um, people that we are still in touch with till this day. Um, I, I volunteered a lot then. And um, well, that's how James and I became friends. And then um, fast forward to 2018, I started working for the Ohio Republican Party. And as you can see, the majority of our elected um, state officials, well, they're elected state officials, so they won. Um, so we did that, and I uh, worked with my local counties, um, and we did pretty decent there as well. Um, and now I actually work for the Ohio Secretary of State. So um, I'm originally from Canfield. Um, I live in Austin Town now. Um, I have a kitty. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> probably, you'll probably see her walk around somewhere. So just a heads up. Um, I don't think there's anything else I can really share at the moment. Oh, thank you. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I have a quick question. Um, the Trumbull County young Republicans, where are they usually mostly based? Are they all Niles and Warren? Uh, cause I'm originally from Newton Falls, Ohio. So okay. I'm a Trumbull County guy and I went to school at Urson. So I, I was raised with a lot of Mahoney County kids, but they looked down at me cause I was from Trumbull. So where are, where are the Trumbull Republicans at? Where are they all located? So I'm going to say hi to Kelly really quick. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think some of them are from like Lordstown. I think we have ones from Cortland. Um, they're slowly growing and becoming more involved. So um, I, I think the more that we have the opportunity to get out there, We'll have a lot more come out from probably all over Warren Niles. But right now it seems like it's Cortland, um, Lordstown, a little bit of Warren. So cool. Really cool. Yeah. All right, James, you want to talk a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is uh, James Malarkey. I've had the uh, pleasure of knowing Shamori since uh, 2016. And as she told you, uh, you know, we got together our organizations. I mean, at the time I was at YSU, we, we had a chapter of, uh, you know, the YSU Turning Point USA and the Students for Trump. And we early, you know, on got together with, uh, you know, the young Republicans and we formed the, you know, the Students for Trump and all that. And uh, going forward, you know, we formed the uh, young Republicans. And it was, you know, several of us and some of us, we stuck together. We've been uh, close friends ever since. And uh, what we do, we do a lot of doors uh, and uh, phone calls for local candidates in the GOP and uh, most recently fundraisers. And uh, we try to help the party out as best we can. 
And uh, shout out to Hubbard. Uh, Hubbard. Kelly, too. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Um, I got a quick question for you guys. I don't mean to derail this, but so you were both involved with 2016. Yes. What was that like being on the ground? Uh, <laughs> I, I lived in New York City at the time. So we were kind of like, you know, shut up in our apartment. We didn't, we just did volunteering through like phone banking, but we didn't do door to door knocking or anything. But what was it like going door to door? Were people receptive? What, what was that experience like? Do you want to go? You can start. You can start more. Okay. Um, I think for us, it was very exciting. Um, we had a great time. We would never go by ourselves. We would be in a group, um, and it would just be a great time. Uh, honestly, the more there are, the fun, the more fun it is. Um, so when it would come to knocking doors, and I, I wasn't there for an incident, James was, um, you just have to be careful what areas you go into, honestly. Um, but usually, I, I think for the most part, it felt really good. Um, the people that were, you know, we'd knock on the door and say, hi, can Donald Trump, well, now president, can he count on your vote? Um, they would either say yes, most definitely there's no other person out there because, you know, I cannot have Hillary as my president. Or they would say, no, get off my property. I don't want to talk to you. And it was pretty simple. It wasn't any, I mean, can you add on to that? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, it, it was a whirlwind uh, experience. I mean, you know, the way we felt we were making history. I mean, we, I, I think if you lived in the moment, you know, it was a, uh, you know, a knee jerk reaction. It's like, could we accept a Hillary Clinton presidency? And I think that was too much for us to say, you know, we cannot, we have to do our part to, you know, help uh, Donald J. Trump. And I think, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, pushback in our direction. I mean, I think the silent majority was with us in uh, 2016 and so in 2020 also, you know. So I want to get into that. And sorry, Michael, I'm derailing. but No, you're fine. Just want to say, like, you know, this country, we have a pretty sharp political divide, right? But I think it's worthy of saying that, like, young people that get involved in politics have the big – I have the biggest respect for it because you're putting your careers on the line. You're putting your personal safety on the line to go out and fight for what you believe in. And, you know, you talk to people. I'm sure talking to people changes your own beliefs. And uh, you get to know your neighborhoods and stuff like that. So Democrat, Republican, I don't care your party. If you're going out and you're volunteering, you're getting involved. I think, you know, mad respect to you because it takes a lot of guts. It's a scary, scary thing. And I've done a couple campaigns, really low key, but going door to door is scary. Even calling people on the phone for the safety of your own home is really scary. So major respect to you guys. I'm, I'm not just saying that. that. That is really, really awesome. Um, my next question for both of you is what what's your feel? So you guys were involved with 2016. It's now 2020. It's the weirdest year ever. Uh, you know, we've had killer. What's that? So that's an understatement. Yeah, that's the understatement. <laughs> I mean, like the presidential election is like the eighth biggest story of everything else going on. What's the vibe on the ground? What are people telling you? What are people saying? Uh, not just in our area, but all over Ohio. You want to? Well, really quick, I want to say when you were talking about the YRs for a second, appreciating us for going out there. We did get a lot of people that were saying how amazing it is that young adults, you know, teenagers college students were out there knocking on doors and making phone calls. They absolutely loved it and they really appreciate it. But 
Um, <laughs> to go back, sorry. Um, no, that's great. To go back uh, about like how, I, for the most part, I feel like people compared to 16 are a little more outspoken. Um, I feel like they've kind of just like, they've had enough. So, I mean, in 2016, they were saying they had enough. And at this point now, they're really, especially with everything that's happening now, they're just like, we're done. Like, we know, like, all the great things that he's done, what he's going to continue to doing. He's the best choice. Do you want to add on to that? Well, I I would completely agree with Shamora. She's spot on with that. I mean, you know, the full sentiments, people are more vocal, you know, now than ever before, really. Do you think that enthusiasm is as high now? It sounds like you're saying, as in 2016, like my impression as an outsider is that enthusiasm is super low for both sides, right? For the, the Biden people and for the Trump thing, the Trump Trump people. But you guys tell me if I'm wrong. What are what are people on the ground saying? Like, are they still keen on voting or they're just kind of like, yeah, I don't care anymore? Can, can I interject real quick? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, see, from people that, I, people that I've encountered, you know, you know, there's people that are, you know, are being silent right now. But I mean, overwhelmingly, the people that I've talked to, you know, they, they see what is going on in America right now, and they think that this approach, this course that we're on, is unacceptable. And I mean, you know, whether it be the cultural Marxism or you know, you know, the the violence and, the, the and all that stuff, you know, this is a trajectory that we cannot keep. That, you know, more people than I talk to uh, Trump than ever before, I think. And I, I think that, you know, the polls, you know, be damned. Okay. I, I think your sound was given out a little bit, Michael. Was Did you have some trouble hearing him? Um, I, I think a little bit there. Yeah, uh, but I, I heard, I got most of it. Yeah. Um, I, I, go I ahead, Michael. Add a, a qu- I want to add a quick question in here. So, Sure. Obviously, uh, if anybody's kind of tuned into the podcast, knows that I was he- I was very hesitant in 2016 to vote for Trump. I, it was kind of like a last minute thing where I finally decided I got to do this, and you know I've been for the most part pleasantly surprised with a lot of the results. But uh, I'll be honest, I, I didn't see it coming in, in 2016, and so I really kind of want to hear from both of you: Did you see it coming, or were you as surprised as I was election night? Uh, election night was very interesting (laughs) the whole day was very interesting um so i I think like for the most part i I think it's how everybody feels when it comes to winning something you know what i mean like you're like we're gonna do this we're gonna do this and then it gets there and you're like oh my gosh what if it doesn't happen um so i think that was like playing in our mind a lot and um i think we just kind of got nervous i mean i know i did um my friends and I were sitting there. We were poll flushing. We were um, checking and make, calling people, making sure they've got out, went out to vote. Um, and we were just nervous. But I think in the, like, near the end, we started realizing, like, okay, why are we afraid? We know that there's nothing for us to worry about. Because at that time, you had him during his whole campaign speaking and saying things that I don't feel like any other candidate has ever really said. So that was really speaking to people. Um, I mean, James knows we were all there. It it was a very intense night. Um, but I I think there was a certain point where we all had that moment where we were nervous. I think it's just normal. I don't know exactly if you want to touch, put something in there. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, backing up what Shamir said, I mean, it was very, uh, it was very, uh, you know, nervous night. I mean, and I remember us all sitting together in the conference room as the returns were coming in. You know, there was, uh, you know, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, and I, I remember at, at one point, I think it was two forty-five in the morning. Our, our good friend Jeff Rabel, he had his Twitter on, and the Associated Press they called Pennsylvania, and by that time we knew that that put us over the top. But it took a good, you know, hour, hour and a half before the mainstream media reported that is fact. But I mean, we were magnanimous and we will never forget that glorious night. You know, November uh, 8th, 2016, it was a, a magnanimous day to not be forgotten. It was beautiful. So I, I actually think, I think Trump's heading for a big defeat. I, 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 I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to play the sourpuss, right? Okay. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but, but hear me out. I, I think Trump going to lose this election. I think, and I was, I was a Trump backer in 2015, right? Because I was kind of from the more non-interventionist side of the Republican Party, where like I didn't want all the wars. Um, I liked what he was saying on tariffs uh, and on immigration stuff. So that's why that's what originally drew me to Trump. I thought he could have won the entire time. Uh, you know, I, I thought like the idea that Ted Cruz was going to be the nominee, I was like, come on, that's a joke. That's not going to happen. He's going to get it. And when he won in 2016, I was kind of surprised, right? I don't think, I think if anybody says that they weren't surprised, they're probably lying. Um, but I also kind of felt like, eh, you know, it makes sense, right? In the grand scheme of things, we just had Brexit last year. Um, so there are a lot of like big political peoples. But I think his campaign currently is a disaster. And I think the polls show him 10 to 15 points behind and say that, like, you know, there's a three to four point group of people out there that, you know, won't say that they're voting for Trump, but they'll show up. Right. So add four to five points to his total, whatever it is. He's still massively behind. And I think that the campaign is just so far in 2020 is totally uninspiring. Because if you look at 2016, there was a really clear thesis, right? Hillary Clinton is corrupt. She's a warmonger. You know, she blew up Libya, turned, the, turned Libya into open-air slave markets. She almost blew up Syria. And, you know, she is a crony pawn of the political establishment. Here's Donald Trump. He's a bull in a china shop. He's not the most, you know, polite guy, but he's something different, right? And a lot of people went for that. But now I see your cat, very cute cat. <laughs> <laughs> so she's going to appear sometime. But now it's just kind of like, I don't think there's a clear message coming from the Trump campaign at, at all. And I, I chalk it up to Brad Parscale and uh, Jared Kushner, uh, Trump's son-in-law and that. Like, I think that, you know, Hillary Clinton, remember in 2016, they're like, oh, we got the data. We're winning. And people be like, I don't see any Hillary signs. You know, everybody I talk to is voting Trump. And they're like, ah, nope, don't worry. We got the data. The data says we're going to win. But they didn't have the vision, right? You know, in the Bible, there's a really great quote, uh, my people perish for a lack of vision. I think it's in the Bible. And in Trump 2020, it's like everybody's talking about the data. Like, oh, we got the data. We got the money. We're good to go. We're winning by 80 points in Pennsylvania. We already won Pennsylvania. And I feel like guys, what's this thesis? What's the mission? What's the vision, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm a pessimist, but I'll, I'll turn it over to you two. I, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, you know, obviously right now, there's a lot of, uh, you know, never Trump. 
information the last couple months. You know, most prominent is the uh, Lincoln Project, which is the uh, the baby child of uh, George Conway, who's Kellyanne Conway's husband. Yeah, he's very fat too. He's like oh. uh, he's a scary dude. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, he is. I'm sorry. He's not, <laughs> I know, you're right about that. But yeah. uh, but also too, I I will say, that look at 2016. You know, in terms of Ohio, I mean, Ohio was the uh, center stage of the uh, Republican convention out of Cleveland, and whatnot. But at the time. Matt Borges, he was the state chairman, and his big pet project now is the uh, pro Biden pack. It's called the Right Side, and it's formed in the last you know several weeks. I mean, and he's a pro Kasich type Republican, but I mean, you know, this is the opposition that President Trump is facing. These are people that are disgruntled Bush era, Kasich era Republicans that have not buried the hatchet of 2016 and before. And, you know, I think they, you know, there's a uh, mentality in the Ohio Republican Party, if not that, but the National Republican Party, there's opposition that rejects the accomplishments and the achievements that President Trump has made in his uh, tenure in office. Okay. Okay. I I just, I just tend to think like, look, you know, I'm not a never Trumper. I'm not that guy at all. But what I'm saying is like, there's not a grand, like what's the camp 2020 campaign theme? Is it make America great again? Is it keep America great? I don't, I don't know. They're not really sure. Right. Like what policies is he going to enact if he gets reelected? Right. Right. What, what, what's he not doing now that he'll do if we elect him in 2020? I don't really know. Um, I just don't think there's a strong of it. Like the 2016 campaign was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Decide whether or not you like Trump or not. It was a really well-run campaign because I think Kellyanne Conway and Steve Bannon really hit the right themes. But I, to me, again, it's just too technical, and there are no overarching themes and messages at this moment. Sure. Uh, Shamori, uh, do, you, do you have anything to say? I'm not going to add You mean you basically – I'll be repeating what you said, so – I mean, I, I do agree with you. I, I I feel like 16 was a complete different time for everything, though, um, and it was completely new, and um, he was new. So, I, I mean, at that time, the, it was very, as the young people like to say, the hype was up, you know? Like, <laughs> everybody was really feeling this fresh new face, um, the way that he spoke, the way that he carried himself. Um, and I, I think this year, with everything that's gone on, it's it's – kind of hard to just like get there the same type of the same way that we were in 16. Uh, I, I, I don't know when it's going to come out. I don't know like if it's just going to surprise us. Um, but yeah. I, I would say this too, you know, uh, you know, there's an, an ancient Chinese church that goes back to the days of uh, Sun Tzu, you know, the art of war and stuff. And the ancient Chinese church has made you live in interesting times. And how well of a situation does it describe the year 2020? I mean, with this COVID virus and whatnot. You know, the thing that we're living through right now, whether we like it or not, Donald Trump in 2016, he had, you know, the gall to uh, confront Red China. Red China has been on the advance in all corners of the globe as they advance their empire and as they violate you know, free trade laws and you know, try to you know disadvantage the United States in which we can. Donald Trump has been you know the 
key proponent who has uh, confronted China. And, you know, that, that's an issue that we're going to have to contend going forward. And, I mean, whether we like it or not, COVID-19 is the uh, spearhead of this new Cold War, if you will. But, I mean, the Chinese, the biggest military buildup going on on the planet is Red China. And these people, they know that gun for gun, more for more tank for tank, the Chinese can never match us. But their development is an asymmetrical warfare. And that's an issue that we're going to have to contend with going forward. That's going to be the uh, key pivotal issue in the 2020s. So, okay, two points there. And, Michael, I'm not trying to – No, you're good. Um, the first thing said I think is really – like if I could encapsulate it, there was like a magic to the 2016 campaign. And it's hard to get that magic going again with all that's going on. I, I, that's, I think, my point is that, this, that something's missing. It feels off on some deep level. I mean, with maybe it's a Corona thing, and maybe once Corona starts getting lifted, it'll come back. But I do feel that like the the magic in the air of kind of running against the establishment is kind of gone, and it's it, it it's kind of hard to to start the themes. And then with with what you just said about China, the second point that was made, the problem with that is, you know, and now I salute Trump for taking on China for imposing the tariffs. I think that's absolutely necessary. I think it took a lot of courage to do that. Because he got a lot of pushback from the big business community and, frankly, a lot of weak Republicans who were wrong on free trade. So I completely support him there. The problem is that Trump has kind of undercut himself by constantly trying to do another deal with China. And, you know, when this was going in the outbreak in January, February, he was praising. He has this weird relationship with uh, Xi Jinping, right, where he kind of praises him and he talks him up big time. Um and, and those words will come back to haunt him as it goes to the 2016 camp or the later on in the 2020 campaign. Sorry. And, and, and the campaign, like, look, you just brought up a brilliant point. Like, okay, China, Biden tool China, right? His son is probably you know, getting money from the Chinese. Uh, Biden's going to be a puppet of China. If not like whoever talks to him last, cause he's seen out. I get that. I'm with you there, but I don't hear Trump talking about China though. I don't hear that coming from the campaign. I don't hear that as a big issue. Like I hear his supporters talking about that, but when it comes to the campaign, I'm not getting that message at all. Well, this is what I would say. I mean, if you look at results, results don't lie. Donald Trump, you know, starting in the year 2017 through Congress and stuff, they passed through the largest military buildup in American history, $700 billion for the development of uh, nuclear weapons uh, hypersonic weapons, you know, things that could counter the uh, Chinese threat. And believe me, it is a problem in the South China Sea and around the globe. The Chinese are on the march in all corners of the globe, whether it be in Africa with the development of rare earth minerals that goes into your cell phones, your laptops, and uh, smart devices. And it's a serious geopolitical reality of our time that we're going to have to contend to very soon. I agree. I, I totally agree. Um, the Chinese are a bunch of uh, communist SOBs to be yes. polite. But I'm just saying, like, when it comes from the campaign and the messaging of 2020, Trump should be winning on this issue, right? Because he was right on this issue, and he took a lot of really brave steps. But his own rhetoric at the beginning of the year kind of is undercutting the message. And moreover, the campaign is just not, you know, pounding this drum. 
And the themes of the race have not developed yet. I, I still don't know what the themes of the race are. Like, what are the big issues? I don't know. And I think that's because the Trump campaign is busy, you know, looking at data analytics and Maricopa County, Arizona, and losing sight of the big picture. That could be. Uh, so I, I want to kind of add my, my thoughts on this whole thing with, with the campaign because, I mean, it's it's obvious, at least based on the polls, that he, he is behind. And I guess just to provide some context for everybody, as of right now, nationally, again, you know, we don't decide our president with a national popular vote, but Biden's up nine and a half points, where at the same stage in 2016, Clinton was up about five points. So there's about a, you know, a four and a half point difference there from, from 2016 to 2020. But I'll say this kind of in looking at the poll numbers that the last five or six weeks have not been great for Trump, especially with his poll numbers. It started off, his numbers actually went up initially with the COVID pandemic and then they, they started to, to, to fall a little bit. And then the, the, the killing of George Floyd came in and the response to that, and he got very poor remark, poor, poor marks there. And that's when his numbers really started to tank. But it seems as though his numbers have kind of leveled off. He's kind of weathered the storm a little bit. He's, you know, it's, um, you know, as I look here at the national numbers, he actually was down a little bit more about a week or two ago, I believe, when I'm, I'm confirming that now. But it seems as though he's kind of weathered the storm a little bit. So, like, I kind of figured it would happen. And if you actually dig down deeper into some of these states, like Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, Florida, North Carolina, a lot of these states where right now he's behind. But if you actually look at the numbers in a lot of these states, he's still getting 43, 44, 45%. And if you look back to 2016 in a number of these states, it's not like he got 50% in them. You know, he got 47, 48%. So I don't think he's too far off. I think his big issue right now is is going to be, A, winning over independence. Uh, I think that's where he's really struggling right now. Uh, and then, B, maybe some of that soft Republican support. Um, you know, I'm not even saying that's necessarily never Trumpers, but just maybe old school Republicans that just they might like his policies that comp- just do not like him and his personality. All so I think there's there's room to grow there. But I think what, another thing that's really missing, Dane, is this whole aspect of Joe Biden being able to, to he's benefiting from this whole situation because the whole COVID situation because he doesn't have to go out and campaign. You know, he had his first press conference in, what, 80-some days yesterday, but he really hasn't been out there. So we've talked about it since the first episode that we have noticed that Joe Biden's uh, cognitive state has declined. And we said, you know, yeah, and eventually we said that the we thought the American people would see that. Well, the American people haven't been able to see it unless you're somebody who really follows politics. You know, the average person out there, they may have heard "Ah, Joe Biden's losing it, but until you really see and watch him and like see how he answers questions, he kind of has that that look on his face, that deer in the headlights look. And think until people see that, Joe Biden's going to be ahead in these polls. So, and one one more point because I'm all over the place right now. A couple weeks ago, I thought the the Trump campaign did something on the surface that I thought was kind of a desperate move, which was calling for an additional presidential debate. But the more I thought of it, I think what they're trying to do there, and I could be way off. I think they're just trying to lock in the three debates because, you know, you hear some people saying Biden's going to try to get out of their the Biden campaign is going to try to back out of these debates. I think they're and again, maybe I'm just 
overly uh, optimistic here. I think they're trying to lock in the fact Biden's campaign will commit to three debates because I think that will be the moment that Trump needs to showcase the difference of, hey, we're both mid-70s, mid to late 70s. Look at me. You might not like me, but at least I'm getting stuff done. You could trust me during a, a crisis. And then look at him right now. Do you really think you could trust him with anything right now with his mind the way it is? So uh, I think there's definitely this this race is a long way to go. Four months. You know, Trump was down these same numbers three weeks before the last election. After the access Hollywood and, and he came back and won. So long way to go. But I think the whole pandemic has hurt his campaign. He hasn't been able to go out there. He doesn't have really a rallying message. And I think until he gets that, he's, he's going to struggle um, probably until uh, the debates. That's just my my two thoughts. I, I would say this, though. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to, you know, how the Democrats handle their convention, if, in fact, they hold one. And, you know, as you know, in uh, the year 2018, you know, they voted to not use the superdelegates on the first ballot when it comes to their uh, convention. And that was to appease the uh, Bernie Kratz. But, I mean, now, you know, if, if anything is open question. I mean, no Biden's uh, mental stability and his mental state is in question, very much so. So the question for the Democratic Party is whether or not they have a dark horse candidate or whether they proceed to uh, carry out the course before them. But I'm going to say something really rude, but I I think everybody agrees that Biden is senile. But Trump's losing to somebody who's senile. Like, that's the problem, right? Like Biden's the weakest candidate I've ever in my lifetime. Uh, John Kerry had more charisma, and <laughs> he did. He really did. Than Joe Biden. And 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 Trump's fifteen to ten points below. And it that to me that's not a Biden. I don't think people want it. Like nobody in America wakes up and's like, oh, I can't wait to brush my teeth, have my coffee, and vote for Joe Biden. There's not a <laughs> single human being out there, right? Hey, nobody needs to get out of the basement. Yeah, right. Nobody, nobody. Everyone's like, "Oh, he's still alive." I thought he retired in like 1997, right? But Trump's losing to that. That's the problem. Like, he's losing to senile Joe. It's, it's not Hillary. Hillary, you know, she had her army of like soy boys that were ready to, you know, pounce. But this I, is I would Joe. Finish. Don't don't trust the polling. The polling is way out of the margin of error in a lot of polls. And I mean, plus Team Trump is conducting its own internal polling, and as they did in 2016, which you know is more accurate, is more in tune with the current trend of what's happening in America. Now, this is an unprecedented trend. You know, what, what is going on? You know, the the global phenomenon of COVID-19, but you know, it raises the question of you know, you know, what is really going on? And I, I think that you know, Team Trump though they have you know, a more accurate reading of America in its current state, you know, far beyond what is going on in the uh, global mainstream media. Maybe. I I hope so. I don't know. I I don't want to dominate the conversation, but I'll just say this. Like, okay, if I vote for Joe Biden, they're going to tear down statues of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Uh, They're going to, like, you know, blow up Mount Rushmore if I vote for Joe Biden, uh, you know, like the leftists are going to run wild in our cities and Antifa is going to attack people and they're going to ban conservative voices from the Internet. But, oh, wait, 
all that's already happening right now. Like, yeah, it'll get worse, but it's pretty bad now, right? I, I think the big failure of the Trump campaign was he listened to Paul Ryan when he got inaugurated. Nobody likes Paul Ryan. Nobody voted for Paul Ryan when he was vice president. Nobody wanted Paul Ryan's agenda, yeah, right? Yeah. That, that was a huge mistake. And he spent the first two years when he had all the political capital in the world, you know, cutting taxes. And listen, I, I think that there were a lot of good reforms in the, the tax plan, but the country wasn't hungry for that. The country was hungry for bringing troops home, for curbing illegal immigration, um, for, you know, a lot of the other themes that, you know, cleaning up corruption. And I think it was just a big missed opportunity. And I think he's behind now. I, I hope he can. I think he can come back. I think it's still a very volatile situation. I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I just I just want the campaign. Don't you know, don't say, well, the polls are wrong because the polls could be wrong by five points, but the polls are not wrong by 10 and 15 points. I, I don't believe that. Don't be like Hillary. Yes. <laughs> I want to I want to shift gears real quick and kind of with, with your organization. So like Shamora, like if, if you were involved in the 2016 campaign and now you're, you know, it, with this organization in 2020, have you done any campaigning as of yet for the Trump campaign? And if so, can you kind of decipher the difference between maybe what the campaign had volunteers doing in 2016 versus 2020? Well, um, so we actually work with, the ORP, who does Trump Victory. Um, it's their campaign that they're doing to promote, you know, basically to campaign for Trump, President Trump. And um, we actually started doing things and then COVID happened. Um, but I mean, kind of the same tactics. We understand that knocking on doors is very effective. People really appreciate when you go to their door, you speak with them, make phone calls. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so, I mean, that, that's kind of the same thing that they are expecting um, us to do. It's just kind of hard to really do that because he really wants to kind of knock on people's doors at the moment. Um, right, James? Right. I mean, that's that's the only thing that's kind of stopping us. That's what's taking the, the excitement out of this campaign for 2020. It's just, I mean, as I said earlier, for us, for James and I in 2016, this was what this was our fun on the weekends. This was our fun going out, knocking doors, making phone calls, coming up with cool ideas and slogans to shout out while we're campaigning <laughs> for, you know, president Trump. And, and this time it's kind of hard to do. Um, I mean, you can't social, you can't be around people without social distancing. Um, masks are no fun. Who wants to, I mean, I don't feel comfortable. I mean, I, I don't know how I feel somebody knocking on my door with a mask on. True. You know what I mean? It's like I can't identify you by anything. So I, I, I think that's like kind of well, it's just like messing it up at the moment. And I honestly think that like I, I don't know where this is going to go with COVID. Um, I hate that it's happening during this time because I, I honestly with with our young Republicans, I feel very bad for the people that are not experiencing what we've experienced. You know, presidential campaigns, nobody always a lot of people don't pay attention. I should say nobody. A lot of people don't pay attention to local races all the time. But the presidential one is where everybody decides, you know what? I'm a poli sci major and I know what I'm talking about. And, but it's, <laughs> well, it's, but it's fine. You know, but, but it, it's fine. And um, this year, I feel like a lot of them, and we have new people coming in and wanting to be involved, but it's just not the same feeling. 
Um, and there's nothing that we can, I mean, there's only so much that we can do, right, James? Absolutely. It's, but yeah. <laughs> it, it, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's strange times, but I mean, you know, we're, uh, you know, making the best that we can do. I mean, uh, you, know, you got to play the hand that you're dealt. And, uh, you know, as the ancient Chinese said, uh, you know, may you live in interesting times. And, you know, this is uh, the year 2020. But I mean, I think that we have to take into account the uh, uh, geopolitical, uh, you know, issues that are before. I mean, now, you know, we, we've had, uh, you know, a strategic uh, situation like never before. I mean, you could make the argument that we're living in a uh, second Cold War. I mean, what the Chinese are doing, you know, that, that's a big issue to take into account. And I mean, it should not be uh, you know, underwritten, you know, what's going on where this virus originated and, you know, the geopolitical implications because of it. I mean, in terms of the uh, economies of the world and the United States, you know. Well, I, I do want to say, like, you guys are the ones that I please don't think I'm complaining about your efforts. Like, you guys are the ones actually getting off your butts and, and doing work. So it's always, you know, I feel bad for campaigns because it's always the frontline workers that people always complain to. And the frontline workers are just like, hey, we're, we're just doing what we can when, you know, sometimes the problems with the senior leadership. So, you know, everything you guys said, I think, is are good points and uh, well taken. Uh, I'm just I'm nervous. I'm very, very nervous right now. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be. I don't know. You guys seem both pretty confident. Yeah. <laughs> Even if we are nervous, we can't show it. Oh, you know, that's right. Trump's yeah, going to yeah. win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll just wait till election night again and see yeah. what happens. I honestly, I, I personally don't think that President Trump really has anything to worry about. Um, as we like to call him, you know, senile Joe. Uh, I mean... If you think about you, you know where Trump stands, President Trump stands, you know what he can accomplish, you know who he is, like not personally, but you know the personality that he has. So all the things that he does now should not be a surprise to anybody. I don't see, I don't understand why I still see people complaining about it, talking about it. It is what it is. It's been the last four years like this. You should be used to it anymore. I mean, the U.S. is still standing. We're all still here. There's nothing wrong with any of us. Well, at least I don't think so, but um, <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't think we have anything to worry about. Um, like for me, being African-American and being a Republican is always a conversation. And I know for a fact when Biden, you know, made that comment and said what he said, you know, what was it? If you're you ain't black for Trump, you ain't black. And I'm just like, oh, my God, <laughs> like. And yeah. honestly, at that moment, I'm like, how stupid can you be? I'm like, I looked at my mother. My mother is all, and my mother's not very political at all. Um, <laughs> she has opinions. She's not Republican. She's not Democrat. She's just like, you know, I'm in the middle. And she was like, he really messed himself up. Like, yeah. it's just, you don't say things like that. And I, I think, in my, in my opinion, I think that messed him up. But, but I know what to expect with Trump. I know, I, I know who he is, what he does, and, and I honestly don't think we have anything to worry about. Um, I, I think he stands for um, what he stood for in 2016, and he's going to continue. I don't know if that's going to be the MAGA. I'm pretty sure it's the CACs. Is that how you yeah, pronounce it? CACs. Um, so we're going to keep America great. I maybe we should just like keep America, get America better at this moment for 2020. <laughs> maybe that should be a thing. Uh, you know, get rid of the Rona or something, but. Get rid of the road. That's a good one. 
<laughs> we're really trying our uh like you said we have the ORP the Trump victory who they're recruiting a lot of people to go out and knock doors make phone calls it's just a little difficult this time but that they are making phone calls just sending out messages to people letting them know hey even though the stuff is going on we're still active and we're doing our ways to still make sure that President Trump gets reelected so I don't think we have anything to worry about well that, that was that was an inspiring I, I think you uh you, you made me feel a little bit better. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, these are super weird times given. Are you weird? Did you not see this primary that just happened? Yeah. So <laughs> if there were ever a year to, to be like, ignore the polls thing, you're overreacting. This would be the year. Right. Uh, so you guys made me feel a little bit better. You both seem very, very confident and uh, you can only fake so much confidence. So there was a lot of real confidence. So that, <laughs> that made me feel better. So thank you guys. Can, uh, can I say one thing too? Go ahead. See, I, I think, uh, you know, when everything is said and through, you know, this election is going to be, you know, one of the most consequential elections in American history. I think you see a left that has been organized, that has you know gone against Donald Trump, whether it be for the all the impeachments, you know whatever shenanigans that they could pull. You see a political left that's torn within itself between a socialist like Bernie Sanders and establishment candidate like Joe Biden. Now the, the choice before us is clearer than ever before. Do we maintain the status quo, or do we embrace cultural Marxism and all the radicalism that goes with it? It's the antithesis of our system of government, our ideals, our principles, or do we sell our, our nation short? Or do we embrace you know, the promise of the future, the promise of looking within ourselves in the future of America? And that's the question that will be answered on uh, November 4th, 2020. That's a, that's a good framing of it. I like. It. Let me ask this quick question, because right now, especially with social media, uh, the mm. left seems maybe not. Okay. The left and then maybe uh, millennials or those in college right now are really emboldened to post political, their political beliefs, political opinions about everything going on. And I don't see much pushback to it. And it kind of goes to this whole idea is this, you know, you hear about the silent Trump vote, silent majority. I, I like to call it more of the silent Trump vote. I, I don't want to call it the silent majority. Is there more of that out there where maybe the people who are just not commenting or responding or posting things right now are like, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to even get the repercussion of saying I might vote for Trump. I don't want to deal with the consequences. I'm not going to put a sign in my front yard. I don't want to look at, be looked at differently by my neighbors because I have a Trump sign in my yard, but I'm just going to go in there. I'm just not going to say a word. I'm just going to vote for Trump and move on. Do, do you think that now that's even more of a thing? Because it, I mean, especially with the, the last six weeks, I feel like it's very unpopular right now to say anything pro Trump, especially on social media. Hey, Michael, I, th I think you're uh, absolutely correct. I think that there is an overwhelming silent Trump vote in this country, whether you want to call it the silent Trump vote or the silent majority. I think it is here. I mean, of all the people that I've talked to, I mean, it doesn't matter their party affiliation. I think they have the same sentiments that what is going on in America right now is an unacceptable course that we should aspire for greatness, for betterness. Yeah, I was going to say, I, 
I think there are a lot of people that are silent um, because they know it's like a huge controversy. You know, you say something on Facebook and then you have he, she, everyone in the entire world saying something. And just because you put an opinion out there doesn't mean that you are looking for other people's comments. You're just kind of stating things and you're not looking for an argument. And I think that's where people get scared. They're afraid that they'll lose friends. So afraid they'll lose jobs. And, and, and I think some people get confused that when, let's say you're looking at policies from uh, Joe Biden and President Trump, you're looking at seeing like where their views are. Yes, you may not be fully for Trump and you may not like him as a person, but you may look at his his policies or his ideas and say, you know, I do side with those, but I don't like him as a person. And I think sometimes people get afraid on what's going to be the outcome from others if they do. I mean, I we've seen it a lot. And there would be times at, at the Campville Fair, James knows, we are always at the Campville Fair and, and there would be a lot of those teenagers that would like come in very shy and they'd be super scared to just kind of walk in and then we would have to just say, hey guys, um, are you guys Republicans? And they're like, kinda, I don't really want to say anything because my friends always go off and we're like, well, come in here because we're like-minded people. We agree with you. We like Trump. We're Republicans. And they feel a little more comfortable. But at that same time, even though they meet us, they're still scared to just come out. And I, I, I think it's just having people feel like having an opinion is like a threat anymore. Um, you can't say anything without anyone getting offended. I mean, not my deal. It depends on what you say and what you do. But I mean, if you're having an opinion on who you're voting for and why... Right. It shouldn't be an issue. And see, there enters uh, Shimori's, you know, you know, idea. I mean, that that's the issue that we face today is, uh, you know, the threat of cultural Marxism. I mean, to be a conservative and to you know have you know right wing ideas in the year twenty twenty, you're made out to be a social pariah. Whereas, you know, if you look at it, you know, the answers to society, conservatism, and the ideas that it represents, you know, us, the right. The Republican Party, you know, are frowned upon by society. Why is that? We stand for, uh, you know, you know, uh, traditionalism, libertarianism, and anti-communism. It's a rejection of the cultural Marxism cancel culture that has been a plague on our modern society. And that's one of the big things about the Young Republicans. So, you know, our main thing is to develop. We're, we're developed then we want to maintain the YRs that we find and we keep them. And then we just want to grow countywide. Um, we want to spread awareness that we're not full of hate. Um, we're not, um, it's not that we don't care for anybody, but anybody who's just like us and have the same opinions as us. We want to um, just basically provide knowledge for other young people within our communities. And I mean, we're not one of those power pushers, I guess you can call so well, some people, but we're one of those that we just lay out the information for you. And if this is something that you're interested in, or you, you know, you're like, hey, I have the same mindset, so I don't agree with everything, but I'm definitely a Republican. That's why we want you to join us so that you can be with other people. I mean, James and I both know from being within the young Republicans, we've had the privilege of meeting so many people, networking, learning new things that we may have not learned without being in the YRs. And I mean, as you guys can see, look what's happening. 
and we're so lucky on the Valley to have so, like we have a few um, young Republican candidates. We have Christina Hagan, who's running for the 13th um, congressional district. We have Al Catrona, who has been appointed to our former Don Manning state rep um, position for the 59th district. We have Michael Loychek, who's running in Trumbull as well. So I, I feel like people see this and they feel like this is something like, okay, so young people are actually involved because people always just think there's nothing but really boomers. Especially here, you know, they're like, what the heck? You know, (laughs) Dane's a big boomer fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, I'm good. I'm done. I was just going to say, you know, one thing people don't realize people our age is that there's a lot of opportunity out there because politics is basically dominated almost exclusively by boomers. And the generation between the boomers and the millennials, Generation X, they don't exist. You'll never see them anywhere in the world. Like they're they're gone, right? I don't know where they're all hiding. They're hiding under a rock somewhere. So I'm, I'm serious. If you're a Democrat or Republican, I highly encourage you to get involved with the local party, uh, volunteer, and you will be shocked at the opportunity available to you because everything you just said was 100% on the money, like networking, um, leadership running for office, there's there's a big vacuum. There's a big void. And uh, young people, all you got to do is just show up and boom, you can fill it. It's not hard. If you're nervous, it's not hard. Just turn up and say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, I'm here. And uh, go from there. I, I did want to add, um, uh, but I want to thank both of you for first coming on, but for secondly, uh, pushing forth this uh, idea of making the Mahoning Valley red, which is the whole idea of mbred.com. I had to throw that in here again. Um, but no, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, you know, getting rejection from going door to door or making phone calls. That's not always easy. You got to have a, a, I would say a strong personality to be willing to either be told, no, I'm not voting for somebody or just, you know, get away. I, I don't want to deal with Trump or this or that. And, and, I give credit to anybody who goes and and makes phone calls for candidates or goes door to door because, um, you know, if you get a few no's in a row, I mean, you can kind of, I mean, I haven't done it, but I'd imagine you got to feel kind of down a little bit. And um, so I just give, give you guys a lot of credit for what you do. Uh, And I think having a young Republican group in the County, uh, especially one that hopefully keeps growing and now one that would, um, be working with Trumbull County. I think that'll go a long way to continue this momentum that we're seeing here in the Mahoning Valley, where a once solid Democrat stronghold, the Republican Party started to make legitimate inroads. And there, it wasn't just Trump winning or winning Trumbull County and coming close to Mahoning County. You have Michael Rooley, you had Don Manning winning, um, you've had some other like Portman winning, um, you know, even DeWine doing well. Kasich, I know Kasich, um, that type of Republicans won here. So Republicans have had some success and and we're starting to make inroads. And I'm just hoping that um, hopefully we could build on that momentum moving forward and and, and at least at the local level, start giving the Democrats some true competition because one party rule for whether it be a country, a state or a, a municipality is not the way to go. And I'm hoping that we could give legitimate uh, contenders such as Ralph Meacham, uh, county auditor, who's doing a great job. Uh, we just need more of those types of people who could step up, and I, I think it'll go a long way to 
to, to making us at least a, bur- a purple uh, area moving forward. Yes, I think we're going to be purple before we're actually completely red. Um, I just, I, I've grown up here my whole life. James, I mean, you're from Austin Town, you said. So, like, I mean, I just don't see us being completely red anytime soon. Purple, sure. So, well, realistic. You know, <laughs> I, I shared the same sentence as you. I mean, and, you know, you know, you look at the uh, conservative cause, you know, what we're trying to do with the Republican Party, you know, at the local, state, national level, we're all happy warriors here. We're trying to advance the same cause and the ideals and the beliefs that we believe in. And I, I think, you know, if we stay the course and we, we keep our sentiments strong, we can do that. It might take time, but we will do it. It's it's worth the fight. So keep on doing what you're doing. And uh, thank you both for, for coming on. Uh, thank you. Apologize. We ended up getting this far, almost an hour in, but we oh, I, it doesn't feel like that at all. No, it, it really doesn't. Yeah. It goes by. I, I think it's you guys. You guys are such great hosts, and thanks oh, for thank having you. us. We like really appreciate it. And congratulations! So this is your fourteenth. Yes, You guys are too kind. Thank you very. No, seriously, thank you. And, and sorry, I was a little ranty about the campaign. It's just scary times, but you guys are, you guys are truly happy warriors and, you know, very, very good at, uh, at, uh, perking people up. No wonder you guys are, are YRs. You're doing a good job at it. So thank you. Thank yeah, you for thank the opportunity. You. And, uh, hopefully, uh, between now and, and close to the election, we could have you on again and kind of give us a feeling to how kind of you feel the campaign's working, um, especially being boots on the ground. Hopefully you're able to be boots on the ground if, uh, maybe doing some more social distancing, but uh, just want to thank you again both for coming on and uh, we'll plan for that. And uh, if you guys ever have any, any uh, events or anything like that you want to share with us that we could help promote by all means, let us know. Thank you. Thanks, thank you. All right. Thank you both. Take care. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Their little squares disappeared. Are we yes. still, are we still going? This is the, the grand finale of the show. This is where it gets, Super spicy. Yes. Yeah. So again, thank you to both of them uh, for being our first uh, guest. We've tried a few times, uh, had a couple of technical hiccups along the way, a couple of people back out. So we're happy that they were able to join us and kind of add some insight. Finally, actually talk about politics after four episodes of not talking politics. So I was happy we're, to do that. We're going to get James Oliver on too. Uh, he's coming at it from a left-wing perspective. And, uh, we want to do callers. If you want to call in, uh, you know, give me a call on my cell phone. Uh, we'll, we'll do guests. We'll do callers. We'll do it all. I mean, you yeah. Know. If you ever want to join us, like just let us know in the chat. I'll send you that guys the link as well. You can just join us with your camera. If you'd like to do that, you don't even have to have your camera on. You could just talk with your, you know, gray, gray image or whatever. Just, you know, just talk audio only. That's fine as well. But we, and we certainly do encourage, like we want to have opposing viewpoints. We don't want this just to be like entirely red meat. Yeah. Uh, this was more of a red meat episode, but that's, 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 that's fun to have as well. It's the whole idea of Mahoning Valley red. So I got that in three times today. Now, gosh, you've been plugging that hard, almost as hard as I plug a Casper mattress, the, uh, the mattress of choice. Yeah. I don't know about you, Michael, but you know, if I've been working a lot plugging MV red, which is about turning Mahoning Valley red started by Michael Metzinger in like 1992 after he was born uh, after a long day of hard work, I like to go and take a nap. And what better place to do it than Casper Mattress? 
Casper Mattress, they don't sponsor the show. They really should. They should give us paychecks to talk about Casper Mattresses, the most comfy mattresses in the world. And speaking of things that start with the letter C, can we talk about cancel culture? That's a double C. Casper Mattress cancel culture. Say that 10 times fast. Let's do it. So what do you I think, think it's a relevant it? discussion with everything going on. With Are the we going to get canceled? Uh, you know, what's, what's going on? What, what do you think, Michael? I have some thoughts, but I, I don't want to predominate. I'll, I'll let you take the first stab. So I, I do want to share something now. I, I don't know where Dane's take is on this because we haven't talked about it. But I, I shared this on, on the MV Red podcast Facebook page. If you ha- don't like us on there, we've had a lot of people watching this episode. Like us on MV Red podcast. So facebook.com slash MV Red podcast. Get another plug in. So it was an image I shared. Uh, I'm on link on LinkedIn. You know, I occasionally will, will browse LinkedIn. But yeah, so it's the former. Oh, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. I just want to go on a LinkedIn rant. I think the the oh, I'm really sorry. This is derailing. It. And, and Michael, I, I hate to always interrupt you, but on LinkedIn, there's a group of people who use that to turn it into like their own personal blog and post politics. Like I've seen, I'm not kidding you, a LinkedIn post where somebody's like, "My wife came out as a lesbian today, and I have discovered that I'm a bisexual." And I'm like. Whoa. And then he's like, she's leaving me <laughs> with day. my children, right? She's leaving me with my children. This guy was like a, a copper analyst, and that's why I was connected to him. And I'm like, what the heck is this? You know, somebody's live journal or is it LinkedIn? LinkedIn is weird. It used to be like, hey, I needed a job. Let me create a profile, you know, you know, tape in my skills, Microsoft Word, and then apply for work. But now it's weird, people, and that people are like, at the age of five, I was left for dead at the side of a road. At the age of seven, my mother said she didn't love me. At the age of nine, I lost both of my eyes to cancer. And at the age of, you know, 14, I was sold, uh, you know, to a Venezuelan drug lord to, you know, pick cocaine in the fields. But now I'm graduating from Harvard Business School and I'm going to get a job at McKinsey Consultants. And it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's great, but... Who are you and why you're on my LinkedIn feed? Sorry, I'll I'll let you keep going. No, it's funny you mentioned that because I have noticed, especially I would say in the last six months, a considerable increase in political posts on LinkedIn. And there's certain people who I'm connections with who will like these things. So I'm not connected with like Joe Smith and let's say Vermont who post something like pro-liberal or something like that. But one of my connections will like it. And I'll see it, but I'm amazed with like, you know, I have like 30,000 likes or whatever it is on, on LinkedIn. So it's quickly becoming a place where people um, are posting their political views. And I would definitely, I'm of the belief, I, I try to stay clear. Now, I've liked a couple of things, but I don't, I'm not going to outright post like, hey, I might vote for Trump this election or something like that. I don't right. think that's the, the proper place to do so. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I'm it's weird. It's just, it's just super weird. It's a, it's a business networking site, you know, post a news story from CNBC, but there's really weird stuff on LinkedIn. But anyways, you were going somewhere with this. We were talking yeah. about cancel card and you had a point I derailed you. So sorry. No. And, and so for the people tuning in, uh, whether it's on the live stream, we're going to be tuning into our podcast. So Jay Williams, he's the former mayor of Youngstown. He ran as an independent, but he was essentially a Democrat. He ended up serving I believe maybe as the auto czar in the Obama administration, yeah. as a firework just goes off in my neighborhood. It's been like 
bombs away in Somalia for a week straight in my neighborhood, by the way. Oh, cancel culture. Cancel Sorry about that. I heard another one. Are, are yeah. you <laughs> Somalia is a violent country? Uh, yes. Uh, I didn't say it. He said it. <laughs> Somalia is a great place to live. Shame on me. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. So, yeah. So I just want to read real quickly the post from Jay Williams on LinkedIn who posted this. And, he, and Jay Williams is a black man, again, served, uh, I think, again, as a czar, auto czar, maybe under the Obama administration. But he essentially says this, and we'll, we'll talk about it. But I kind of am in line with his line of thinking. So he says, our country is once again engaging in ongoing debates about what to do with statues and monuments of controversial historical figures and images of our past. He says that he doesn't necessarily subscribe to the notion that all of these symbols should be removed or taken down. It's history that we can't and shouldn't try to erase from the public public consciousness. Instead, I think it's more important and powerful to leaving many of these up, but with permanent plaques uh, and descriptions kind of telling the whole story about, you know, their, their, their history and the whole story behind them and let them serve as reminders of the good, bad and ugly and painful history of our country and a, a guide to na- help us navigate a more just and equitable path forward. So, that's somebody, uh, you know, uh, a black man who is post is actually talking about the Confederate statues, but that's his take. And, and I think it's a very reasonable take. And I don't subscribe to this notion that there is a huge majority of people who really are in favor of what's happening with these statues. And I think if anything, I think it's pushing the left is, is pushing a little too far. And I think, Again, it's one of those things where it's like, you do this shit, pardon my English, you're going to make somebody who's like, who hates Trump say, well, I don't want that shit to happen. I might as well just vote for Trump because I don't want to see four years of of this cancel culture getting worse and worse. So I guess those are my initial. So the only thing to quibble with you on is when you said like the left is going just a little too far. Oh, I don't know. Trying to destroy statues of George Washington. Yeah, that's a little too far. No, the left has lost their minds. They're drunk on power. Um, They're pushing against a presidency that has been weakened by the coronavirus and the response to it. Um, And, you know, they're taking advantage of the fact that people are unemployed with nothing to do. So they're using it to gen up protests and riots and look you know here's who's driving these protests right this is not an organic uprising this is a revolt of the american upper middle class because the new default religion of the american upper middle upper middle class is wokeism right and it's a way that they show their class superiority because you know in the 80s you would buy a sub-zero refrigerator to show that you were wealthy and educated um, maybe in the aughts, you would have a dot-com company. And in 2020, the way you show that you're better than other people is by you fully embrace the tenets of wokeism. And, you know, one of the benefits of wokeism is that the language is constantly evolving. And there's all these new concepts out there that only if you went to a university within the last 15 or 20 years would you even be familiar with. And, you know, if you read the right magazines, the Atlantic, the New Yorker, the New York Times, the Washington Post, right, which skew to upper educated, upper income groups, you too can be familiar with all these terms. And to me, the, the big, the big uh, divider, the big, the, the big motivation behind this are yuppie millennials, right? The yuppie millennials with too much time on their hands who want to redo America. Like, and, and look, 
here's the thing. The Confederate statues were just an easy argument because nobody really is sympathetic to the Confederacy, even though they were our countrymen. And, you know, as Reagan or excuse me, as Lincoln said, we were supposed to forgive them and welcome them back into the country because they were our brothers. Right. And, and, and sisters. Um, but the Confederate statues, that's not what this is really about. This is really about the purging of history. And does a mob, a mob have the right to do this? Right. That's what really makes me mad. This America is a free and democratic country. We still have democracy. We have rule of law. This isn't East Germany. This isn't, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein's Iraq. This is the United States of America. And if you don't like a statue, go to your local community, ask your representatives to put a resolution to take down the statue, debate it through a council, through, you know, moderated debate, weigh the pros and cons, and then take it down or not and move on. But that's not what's happening. This is a mob taking over, and a mob is antithetical to democracy, and it's antithetical to any sort of Republican system because a mob determines that they themselves are the law, not the process and not order and not councils, okay? And it's very, very scary to me to see what the mob is now doing. You have millennials whose knowledge of history begins with, like, you know, racism, right? They have no knowledge of world history, no knowledge of European history or African history or Asian history. They don't know that for most of humanity, to quote Thomas Hobbes, we had lives where they were nasty, they were brutish, and that were short. And it was thanks to Western Europe and the United States that humanity progressed, banning slavery, um, implementing, you know, human rights, allowing tolerance and freedom of discussion. These countries are not perfect. They frequently fail. America has its sins, but the ideas contained within America are noble. And America as a country, relative to the rest of humanity, deserves respect and honoring, if for no other reason than it's our country and our home. Uh, sorry, I'm going on a rant, Michael. But this is for people. This is, this is totalitarianism because it's not just, well, and I, this, I heard this argument, well, you know, it's just like boycotting something. No, it's not like you're boycotting fucking Pepsi, okay? What they're doing is they target random people, weak people, okay, who are, you know, working and, you know, just random individuals and citizens, and they make an example of them. And they'll say, well, what they said was racist and wrong, right? And the problem with that is nobody wants to say racist things, but the definition of racism has expanded so much. The definition of wrong thing has expanded so much that a leftist who posted in a group chat about how riots increased Republican share of the vote was promptly thereafter canceled. Okay. This is a moral hysteria. It deserves no respect. And I think that this is cancel culture is the role of the mob above a society of dissent and debate. And let me, let me, let me put one final point out. There are really bad ideas out there. There are racist ideas. There are totalitarian ideas, etc. And the way you defeat those ideas is through argumentation and reason and logic and debate. Okay, it's not being a little tally tale trying to go and say, "Hey, employer, you're getting this guy's a bad guy. We're firing him." Like who? How can you have any damn respect for the tattletales of the world that have launched this cancel culture? Right? You have millennials that have been coddled. They're narcissistic and they can't handle people that disagree and that think differently. For all the talk of diversity in the last 20 years in America, diversity of thought has gone down because you have to repeat the oh, same. You, you um, took what I was about to say. Sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm, no, 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 no. I, that was that was that was my big point. I was it's horrible. Shame on the shame. And I'll give one more point. Right? 
I saw a little poster. This came from somebody that I know, and they posted a poster. And the poster was using Soviet-era 1930s realistic iconography. I can't say the word. Uh, iconography. Um, I said that wrong. Apologies. Uh, it was using the art style of the Soviet Union. They said, if you're not for social justice, you're on the sides of the oppressor. So think that for a moment. If you're not for their politically defined agenda, then you're an enemy. You're, you're not only an enemy, you're an oppressor. You're a bad person. Right. And this is dangerous thought because it allows no room for dissent or discussion. Right. Totalitarianism, despotism, authoritarianism, all these ideologies, they always come in with good intentions. They always say like, hey, you know, we're the good guys. We're fighting for good things. And then it ends in bloodshed. Okay, nobody's like, hey, I'm evil and uh, we're going to be, you know, really evil and take over. No, never. It never goes like that. It's always people that are like, hey, we're fighting for the cause, man. Oh, these guys disagree. Well, they're just a bunch of ignorant racists. Let's censor them and get them to sit down and shut up. Right? That's a that's a horrible mentality, and it's antithetical to liberty. You know, you don't have to be a Republican. You don't have to be a conservative. You just have to be an American to realize that trying to get people fired because they disagree with you is one reflective of an insecure, narcissistic, petty tyrant personality, and two against everything this country stands for. So there's my point on cancel culture. I'm probably going to get canceled for that. I like it. I hope you don't get canceled. You stole my thunder. It's sorry, Michael. I'm sorry. No, uh, Kurt Blackburn ch- chiming in in the chat. Those who forget the lessons history teaches are doomed to repeat it. Uh, so I've seen that phrase. We also have somebody who disagrees with us in the chat. I don't know if you see Sean Kerr. Do you, or is uh, that somebody, a friend of yours? Sean Kerr. I know Sean Kerr, yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll read his uh, – I'm sure you could see him, but here I'll uh, – he essentially says Trump is a racist, terrible president, but his other post was – Oh, yes, the majority of this country wants to support and allow racist confederacy imagery and statues to stand. Yep, definitely. Haha, <laughs> Washington, he was a slave owner for Christ's sake. We need to stop honoring or paying homage to any historical racists. I mean, but, I mean, weren't a number of our founding fathers? Well, Sean Kerr is a Irish nationalist. And I would just ask Sean, if, what is Ireland if not an ethno-state? Right. If you're an Irish nationalist, you're by definition somebody that wants a racial state um, because you know you, you you want the Irish people to control all violence. So Sean Kerr, you know who you are. If you're listening, I, I would just check your own privilege before you start checking the privilege of others. There, there you go. Don't, don't worry about Sean. He's he's just a troll. No, that's that, that, and that's fine. I just I wanted to make sure we we shared his opinions because again we uh, we welcome. Uh, everybody's opinions, but my my whole thoughts on this is it seems as though, again, I, I love to harp on social media because I think this has really given an avenue to enable this to be amplified much more so than like pre-social media times. And now it's a way where, oh, my friend's doing it, my other friend's doing it, I'm going to join on board with this and, and – support this cause, blah, 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 blah. But there's like this group think mentality where like, I gotta, I gotta think the same way as all my other people and go along with it. But my issue is you, you, too many people are in this bubble. Like 
I lean right, but I'm at least cognizant and willing to hear the other side. There are people now on both sides, but especially with what we're seeing right now with this cancel culture, who don't want to have any of this whole idea of diversity of thought. They preach diversity, but the hypocrisy is is mind-boggling to me when it comes to ideas of diversity of thought. They don't they don't want that. They don't want diversity of thought. They don't want diversity of party. They want it their way or the highway. Um, except on like social causes and different things like that. Oh, I'm okay with this. But they're backing themselves into a corner where they might think they're advancing their cause adequately or appropriately. But again, I think they're clearly going too far. Um, you know, I, I, I will say this, and maybe this is a controversial take. I, I guess I've never understood the whole idea of the Confederate flag. Um, just kind of whole, like whole idea of growing up. Like the Civil War is like our one of our darkest days, if not the darkest time of our country. When our ancestors of the North and the South, I don't know how many people died, hundreds, thousands, millions died for a war. I don't think millions died, but I do think thousands died. I think it was around 50,000. Or I think it was in the several hundred thousand. I, don't I was going to say, I thought maybe hundreds of thousands passed away. For, but, but were killed in a war when essentially two ideologies and a group of states seceded from the United States of America. Now, it wasn't – I don't think it ever became a legitimate sovereign nation in any way. But they were fighting to become one essentially. And, and I guess I've never understood this whole premise of like celebrating the Confederate flag. Maybe I'm just – this awful, you know, this northerner who just, hey, I'm from the north. My side won. We got the United States of America. But I, I don't understand the whole love affair with the Confederate flag. But to piggyback off of that, I don't like the idea of a government coming in and saying, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. I think that's taking it too far. Um, you know, people could be judged one way or the other, but I, I don't like of the government coming in and just canceling stuff at because it's convenient politically right now to do so. This isn't the government. See, here's the thing. They target the left. You cannot trust the left. You know, they want to destroy you, Michael Metzinger, because you are everything that the left wing hates in this country. You're a straight uh, white male with a family that's married, right? You're a Christian, right? Like the, the left hates these things. They cannot stand these things. So what defines the left? What defines the left is their opposition and hatred to those traits that I just described, right? And and they blame you for all of America's problems. And they, they really think that you're you, Michael Metzger, okay, are at the root of what's wrong with America. I don't think so, but that's what they think. So they're, you know, I, I I'm a Yankee. I am from Ohio. I was born and raised in Ohio. My ancestors trace all their lineage back to Ohio and Pennsylvania. I have no ties to the Confederacy whatsoever. So I, I really, I've never waved the Confederate flag. I, I'm, I'm, I don't have any ties to it, right? But the Southerners were, for better or worse, our brothers and, and sisters, and a lot of them were fighting not necessarily because of slavery, although I think that was the primary motivation. Um, and I think it's wrong, by the way. I mean, the Republican Party was founded as the anti-slavery party. It undermines the bargaining power of labor. 
but they were still our countrymen. And when the country came back together, there was a process of healing. And this is actually a really Christian notion that our country used to understand is that you can vehemently disagree with something, somebody. You can say that they are wrong, but you can still love them because they're your brother. You can still forgive them, right? And you can still want to honor them. And to me, it's like we're trying to purge something that happened. And does it make the state of black America any stronger? No. Does it make our country any more unified? No. I mean, if, if, if the state wants to change the stars and bars on, the, on their flag, that, that's not for my, me to have. Okay. I'm, I'm not there, but, but this purging of history, they always pick the easy targets right now. The Confederacy is an easy target. They've already moved on to George Washington, Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson. Okay. And they're just destroying American history step by step by step. And when we have no common founding fathers, when we have no common symbols, when we have nothing to bind us together and we're totally atomized, then they can truly break down, bring down this country. So, you know, you got to draw the line somewhere. And, and the thing that disappoints me most about Republicans and conservatives is that they're always like, well, this isn't the hill to die on. And they lose. They're just Democrats of 15 years ago, right? And, and eventually there's going to have to come a point where you say, nope, this far and further. It might be irrational to defend this, but this is part of what we're defending. And nope, we're not pushing it. And by the way, the people on the left, they have absolutely no moral righteousness to go after on the, the race issue in, in America, right? Where there's the worst police brutality. These cities have been governed by Democrats for decades, okay? That's the Democratic Party in action where there's the worst income inequality, those states are largely democratic government states like New York, Connecticut, um, DC, which is not a state, but uh, Maryland, California, those states have the worst income inequality where they're the failing schools. You can find democratic leadership. Okay. Where you want to talk about the wages of the black community, part of economic, part of empowerment is through economic empowerment by getting good jobs with good wages, starting to save up money to build wealth, right? But through the open borders immigration party policies of both legal and illegal immigration, that has hurt the black community more than anybody. Um, And the Democratic Party is largely responsible for that, but not exclusively Republicans share in the shame. So I have no moral guilt over the way I treat my fellow Americans, because I believe my policies are the best for all people, regardless of their color. Right. That's the way genuinely I view it. Um, And I'm not going to let these little hipsters who, you know, buy Funko Pops and they can't leave the basement because they play video, video games all day. They've never fathered a child uh, and and they don't know how to like pay on a mortgage. Right. Because they have like a thirteen dollar an hour job. I'm not going to let them lecture me. No, shut the fuck up, hipster. Shut the fuck up, millennial. Okay, sit the, sit down. Sorry, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this podcast, but sit the fuck down, okay? Pay a mortgage for five years, and then you can have a political opinion, and you can join the table. You know, move out of your parents' basements, and then you can have a political opinion. But until then, sit down, millennial. So there you go. Sorry. When they do get one, they're going to want the government to uh, cancel it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll yeah. be the big thing, but uh, I guess I have nothing else. I mean, you you, you kind of stole my thunder with the whole. I'm thing. sorry, Michael. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm you, you said it a hundred times better than I ever could, and you're uh, far more educated on the topic. It's just um, people wanna 
erase our history, erase our heritage, and uh, we we need to we need to fight for it. We need to fight to preserve it. And uh, you watch. There's going to be if it hasn't already happened. There's going to I'm sure going to be a movement with the Fourth of July. Why are we celebrating this country? Why are we celebrating the flag? This and that. You watch. I am sure I will see it on social media. Um, it'll be more common uh, as the uh, the nuts um, get louder and louder about the whole thing. Uh, any any final thoughts before we uh, wrap this episode up? No, I think this was a great episode. I want to thank our guests, and you know, I want to say, be not afraid that you know. Right now on social media, the left has monopolized it and they want to destroy anybody that disagrees with them. And they want you to be demoralized. They want you to be afraid. They want you to think that you're in the wrong. They want you to think that you're a bad person. And you know what? If you're listening to this podcast and you're a decent human being that wants best for their fellow Americans, you're not a bad person. Tell the left to sit down and shut up, ignore them and just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because if everybody on the right just stood up, you couldn't be stopped. So that's all. And listen to MV Red and buy a Casper mattress. Casper, now creating pillows. <laughs> Does Casper compete with the MyPillow guy? Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Is Casper like, it's like the owner of Casper, like a big liberal, like, uh, you know. Oh, that know. would be a good twist. Yeah. That would be. I don't know why they're supporting our podcast. <laughs> oh. Maybe there's two big uh, conservative mattress manufacturers in the United States. <laughs> Maybe they thought it was MV Red for like the Soviet Union communism. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I first created this, there were some people um, who said, you know, Red's for communism. I'm like, well, obviously that's not my intent behind this whole name for MV Red, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But I want to thank again, Shamora De Niro and James Malarkey from the Mahoney County Young Republicans for being our first guests uh, ever on uh, the podcast episode 14. We've made it this far and it was kind of great to hear what, you know, what, how they see things right now from their perspective, you know, they're making phone calls. They've done, I guess some limited uh, door to door campaigning, but it's kind of good to hear from them. And it's good to have an organization like that. Like I said earlier to help um, grow uh, the Republican Party here. I think I think we're we're getting closer to where we need to be. Uh, I think a couple couple more uh, like a county seat, something like that. Maybe county commissioner start there. Kind of just keep working our way in there, and then uh, really make this a much more competitive thing. Which, regardless of where you stand on the issues, is better than having one party rule. It's it's you need that competition. You don't want just whoever wins the primary to be the de facto candidate. So I'm looking forward to see what they could do. So keep up the good work with them. Uh, and again, thank you everybody for tuning in. If you, uh, well, I guess if you're listening on the podcast, please subscribe. If, if you tuned in, hopefully you liked us on Facebook and you subscribe as well. And uh, yeah. Any, any, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Have a good night, Michael. You as well, Dane. All right, everybody take care.